again to the strange brew podcast my name's jason barnard and that was zombies live with time of the season got the great pleasure to welcome colin blundstone here today to talk about his career and the zombies live show at abbey road studios which is imminent welcome colin hey jason how are you it's it's great to see you it's been I spoke to you by phone six years ago for I still got that hunger. And it's amazing that six years have oh, passed. It goes in the blink of an eye, doesn't it? It's incredible. Yeah, it certainly does. Obviously, one of the things that we definitely want to talk about is the fact that you've got a brilliant live show coming up at Abbey Road on Saturday, September the 18th. So Abbey Road, it, it must be such a special place for, for you and the band. Well, absolutely. I'm, I, you know, it's it's probably the highest profile studio in the world, so it's always exciting to go there, and in particular for us because we've got some history there. The original Zombies recorded their last album in uh, Abbey Road, and um, Rolling Stone went on to call that album. It's called Odyssey and Oracle. Rolling Stone named that album as one of the top hundred albums of all time. So. It was great recording. It was in 1967 we recorded the album. It was great recording there then, and it'll be great to go back. I also recorded my first three solo albums there, and Rod Argent recorded all of Argent's albums at Abbey Road. So there's a lot of history there. I'm really looking forward to it. Definitely, and and obviously you'll be playing many of the tracks from Odyssey and Oracle at that show, of course, and 
it seemed like that the Beatles were were out from Pepper, and then you guys came in. Was it was it a bit like that? It was absolutely like that. I think there was a either a day or two days between us. I, unfortunately, we never met them. They literally left the studio as we walked in. Although we were basically in Studio 3 and they were basically in Studio 2, they did use Studio 3 and John Lennon left his Mellotron behind and Rod used that Mellotron on Odyssey and Oracle. And if you listen to the album, you'll just hear Mellotron all over it. So if John hadn't left his that instrument behind, it would have been a diff- definitely a different album. Also, when we walked into Studio 3, there were lots of percussion instruments left on the floor, tambourines, maracas and so forth that the Beatles had left, which, and we were all huge Beatles fans. So it's very exciting for us to think that we were, you know, we were treading in their footsteps and using the same instruments as them. It was a, it was a, it was a very exciting thought, really. It was such a great band, you know. Well, and, and the zombies, of course. Changes from that album seem to be a track in particular that really used that Mellotron and doesn't get the the hearing that many of the more famous tracks deserve. Absolutely. And it's the only track we ever recorded where all five members are singing harmonies. So we were all, actually, it's quite an interesting story. We were all singing around the piano in um, because Rod was giving us our notes for the harmonies and um, in Studio 3. And they at Abbey Road at that time, they were very strict about when the session ended, it ran from 10 to 1, 2 to 5, and 7 to 10. And we just went past 1 o'clock. We're all around the piano singing harmonies. And they used to have guys who used to move instruments around and equipment around. They had these long brown coats. And two guys came in. And we were singing round the mic. The red light was on. And we were recording changes. Two guys walk into the studio. It's just gone 1 o'clock in their long brown coats. And they moved this piano out of the studio and took it. And I know not where, I don't know where they took it, but we just kept singing. <laughs> you know, we didn't stop. Uh, we, we were on a very, very tight budget. So we, we had to record very quickly and we couldn't afford to stop. But I was just really intrigued. I wonder what these guys were thinking. You know, we're, we're recording <laughs> and, and they just waltz in and take the piano away. I like to think that you can hear it on the track. But I'm not sure that you can. I think we might have had to, in the end, uh, sing it again. But um, you have to put up with these things um, when you're recording. You just, you know, you just soldier on.
It wasn't only the harmonies that were one of the things that the zombies were known for in that period. It was the the fact that you were keyboard based as opposed to many of your peers, and that gave you your own sound. Absolutely. From from 1961, uh, we were always a keyboard based. So you know, we were a keyboard based band, and we always featured harmonies. And not many bands in '61 did. I think it all comes from Rod Argent, really, because firstly, he is an incredible musician, but also he was in the St. Albans Cathedral Choir for many years. And so he understands harmony very, very well. And it made, in some ways, it made it harder for us to get work when we first started, because all bands had three guitars. No bands were doing harmonies. We were different. And, you know, we didn't perhaps get as much work as we could have done But um, when we were amateurs. But later on, it, it really paid dividends. And, you know, when we first got together, our very first rehearsal in St. Albans, I didn't really know the other guys very well. Yeah. And I was going to be the rhythm guitarist and Rob was going to be the lead singer. Oh, wow. The first song we ever played was a, an old classic called Malaguena. And we took a break after about an, an hour of playing this. And Rod went over to a corner in the rehearsal room that we were using. There was an old broken down upright piano. And at this point, because he was going to be the singer, he hadn't actually done anything, but he played Nut Rocker by B. Bumble and the Smiths. It's, a, it's an old classic rock tune. Yeah. But it's, you know, you've got to be a fairly good player to play that with conviction. And I was amazed. You know, Rob was 15 years old and he was already a fantastic keyboard player. And I said to him, you really should play keyboards in the band. And he said, no, no. We want just, it's a rock band. We just want guitars. And that was, he wouldn't hear of it, keyboards. But at the end of that first rehearsal, I was just putting my guitar away. And before I did it, I started singing a Ricky Nelson song. And it would have either been Poor Little Fool or It's Late. I'm not sure what it was. And Rod just happened to hear me. I was only singing to myself. And he said, I tell you what, if you'll be the lead singer, I'll play keyboards. And that essentially is how the zombies came together. There was one change in personnel in, in, yeah. in the original band, but um, and that was it. Rob was there. From then on, Rob was the keyboard player. And um, I still play guitar a bit, but gradually I just became the singer. That's how it came about. And when you listen to that material in the 60s, it just seems so natural. So going back to Odyssey and Oracle again, uh, this will be our year again. Is that Rod on piano there as well? It's not on piano, but it's actually written by Chris White. Yeah. It's a fantastic song. Really great song. It's being used in a commercial this summer in America, right across America. It's a, um, a chain of department stores are using that song in a commercial because it's a timeless classic. You know, it's never a hit, but it's just a timeless song. It's a very positive song, obviously, but it's got a bit of sort of sadness in its background that's been overcome. And I think for me, that's what that really lifts it into that special category. Yes, I think it's, it's sort of hope, isn't it? There's lots of hope in that song. And I know that a lot of people use it at weddings, you know, sort of for the first dance when um, the bride and the groom are doing their dance. A lot of people use that song and, and I can understand why. Darling, I love you, you gave me faith to go on 
the zombies broke up after the which was actually before the successive time of the season wasn't it that which was a, a really strange time there was that that sort of strange occurrence where you almost covered yourself with she's not there and you had like an alter ego neil MacArthur. it's really bizarre when time of the season was a hit in america and incidentally time of the season has never been a hit in the uk it's been, oh no it's but it's been used in a lot of commercials and it's been in a lot of films. So people think that, I, mean, I would, if, 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 you know, if you keep seeing this song turning up everywhere, you think it's a hit, but it's, it's never been in the charts in this country. But in Cashbox, it was number one in America, Billboard, I think number two, and it was a huge hit all around the world, just not the UK. But when it was starting to get up, go up the charts in the States, people started phoning me. I, I hadn't made any music since I've done any singing since the zombies finished. People started calling me, you know, interested in me recording again. And one of them was a producer called Mike Hurst, who'd recorded the early Cat Stevens tracks. So Matthew and Son, I'm going to get yeah. my gun. I love my dog. Great, wonderful records. And he said, I'd, I'd really be interested in recording you. And I, because of the disappointment with the zombies, I, I wasn't absolutely sure I wanted to get back into recording again. I was still, you know feeling it a bit that the, the band had finished we you know we'd, mm. we'd spent so many years together but mike arranged that i could go into the studio in olympic sound at uh, barnes and uh, just put vocals on some tracks you know i had really apart from singing i had very little to do with it it was all mike Hurst's work and um he had this idea of re-recording she's not there and it looking back it does seem a little strange but in many ways, we were just trying to see if we could make something work in the studio. And it worked pretty well. And it was eventually re uh, released as a single. And it, it was a small hit. It was a top 30 hit. I think Mike's often said that it was my idea, but I remember it as being his idea, that I should change my name. And at the time, you know, I wasn't sure I was going to be go back into the music business. It, was, it really was just testing the water. And so I said, okay, fine, well, let's do that. And so for a year... I was Neil MacArthur. It was a, str a strange experience, really, because there were people who only knew me as Neil. And of course, I wouldn't answer to that name because that wasn't my real name. So it, it was an interesting experience. But after a year of being Neil, I was coming home from a party with Chris White, yeah. the original bass player in The Zombies. And he said, hey, why don't you... They had a production company. Chris and Rod Argent had a production company. And he said, why don't you come over and record an album with us? And and go back to your, your real name and let's see, see what we can get together. And that's what happened. We started recording together. And in a way, it was almost like a re-meeting of the zombies. We, we got three of the original zombies there and they were the two main writers and the lead singer. And um, it just felt very natural and it felt right. And uh, we recorded an album called One Year and there was a hit sing single off that called Say You Don't Mind. And strangely enough, Say You Don't Mind was a hit in the UK. And I'm not, it might have been a hit in some countries in Europe, but it wasn't a hit in America. The exact opposite ah. time of the season was a big hit in America and not a hit here. It always intrigues me that the same song, the same record can be a hit in one country and and, and completely ignored in another country. And when you get into Europe, you know, Belgium's right next door to Holland, next door yeah. to Germany, but they have their own charts. And for some reason, a song will make it in Germany and perhaps be completely ignored in France or, or Denmark or something like that. And I don't think anybody knows why, but it just happens.
in that period you were also writing a little bit as well yourself such a great mix of material for for one year but um caroline goodbye i think it was wouldn't be our own and, and was one of the more notable songs off that album and there was a seemed to be a bit of controversy as, as well as that about that song well i mean it's all a, a long time ago now but um, <laughs> it was written about a, a girlfriend of mine and i didn't want to embarrass anybody I would, if I could have, if another name had fitted in there, I would have used it. But I couldn't think, I, for weeks, I was trying to think of another name. And then I thought, well, only my close friends are going to know that this is a real situation. But a newspaper seems such an unlikely thing. A, news, a national newspaper got hold of this story. And the girl was a, a famous model and was just getting into films and called Caroline Monroe. And, um, they thought that there was a story there. And so there was a full page article in a national newspaper about this song. And my secret was out. I just hope I didn't embarrass her. It wasn't meant to be to embarrass her in any way at all. I just couldn't think of another name. So I've been talking about this relationship for the last sort of 40 or 50 years. Um, we, we were very young. I, mean, I think I was about 22 or 23. And I think Caroline was about 19 or 20. So we were very young. Time ran out. and That's all there is to it, really. And in that period, obviously, you were known for the use of strings, but you went on tour with ELO in, in that early guise of ELO. And again, both of you were kind of pioneering the, the use of strings in, in rock music. On the face of it, that seemed such a, a natural pairing to make. Was that, was that good fun? It was good. It was their first... Uh, first tour and it was my first tour as well i think we are, they were you know far more rock influence in what they were doing than what i was doing but it did seem like a, a a very natural combination because we were both using 
strings. And it certainly was a, an interesting experience for me because firstly, I was just starting out as a solo singer. So that I, it, it is different than being in a band in, in many, many s- small ways. You know, you have to make your own decisions. You've got to command the stage on your own. You don't have a band to hide behind, if you, if you like, you know. So it was very different. And of course, I was trying to work out if I could make it work with strings. It, it hadn't really been done before. And um, I, think, I think it was, it was fairly successful. I've certainly, every now and again, I've taken great pleasure in, in putting strings into a live show. Again, I've, you know, every couple of years I'll do that. And it, it usually gets a really, really good response. Pretty good Looks like you're gonna make it In a big way Well, I always knew you would But I should've known talking about Abbey Road near the start and another act, uh, another person who's got a strong association with that is Alan Parsons. Am I right that you, you met Alan at first time at Abbey Road and that eventually grew into uh, working together? Absolutely. He, he worked on um, Odyssey and Oracle. He was an engineer at Abbey Road. That's when I first met him. And then uh, we realised that we lived quite close to one another. We lived around Hampstead in, in London. And I used to see him in the flask on a Saturday morning having a, a lunchtime pint. And um, when he started these uh, Alan Parsons project albums with Eric Walson, they asked me quite early on if I would sing a track on an album. And I ended up being on about five different albums. They were wonderful albums and great songs. And Alan, actually, he's, he started in the last two or three years playing live again mm. in the States. He's got a great band together. And I've actually been on a show with him and he got me to sing one of the tracks, Old and Wise, with him live. And th- that was a great experience. Obviously, I've sung it in the studio, but I'd never sung it with him live before. So it's very interesting. Someone who doesn't necessarily get their due is, is Eric Wilson. And th- there are so many, as well as 
old and wise. There are quite a number of more deeper cuts that you also recorded that are just fabulous. The Eagle Will Rise Again feels like something that that should get greater prominence. Yeah, I, I'm very fond of that song. And um, Eric, I think he wanted to be a silent partner. He he didn't he didn't want to be the the face of the project, but he was a wonderful writer, really really great writer. Also, he was a great singer as well. I think I count myself very lucky that I got any tracks on there at all because Eric could have sung those songs just as well yeah. himself. He was an incredibly interesting character because obviously he was a great artist because he, he wrote the majority of the songs. He, he sang many of them, but he was also the only guy I've ever known who was also a very good businessman. Mm. He really yeah. understood how to broker deals. You know, he, he knew how to do it. And I've never known anyone else like that who was a great artist, but also a very good businessman. It was absolutely charming, Eric. I, I, I really enjoyed his company. Great bloke. Sadly missed.
just to start moving up to date, it was interesting that there's some of your solo material that gets recorded by the zombies and, and vice versa. One of those songs, for example, is Any Other Way, which is a, a great track that you've you've done solo and, and in the band. How, how does it differ in terms of where you've got a, something like that? Generally speaking, Rod writes most of the zombie albums. I mean, traditionally, that's what we've always done. But I'll I'll play him songs, and and um, if we can, you know, come to agreement on it, then it'll go on to a, a zombies track. Uh, the last two albums, I've had one song on each album. Never get over you was on the last one, and at the moment, I've got one track on the album. We've started an album. Yeah. In the in the lockdown, we're probably working on about the seventh track. So we haven't finished seven tracks. We're we're, we're probably about halfway through. We we haven't done my song yet, but I'm really looking forward to that. So generally speaking, I write for my solo albums. Possibly get one or two tracks on the Zombies albums, but predominantly they're Rod songs on the Zombies albums. Remember seeing you standing there Alone in a crowded room Suddenly your presence filled the air There's nothing that I could do Always knew you were the only one I never told you so Thought you'd understand what I had done And I had to let you go Thought that we could prove ourselves Show that we were strong Should have written every day Now I know that I was wrong If there was any other way Don't you think I would have found it by now Find a way around it somehow If there was any other way Left you on a rainy summer's day Thought you understood You tend to never looked around again I knew you never would We were only children then Living on borrowed time Stars were shining in your eyes Tears were filling up in mine If there was any other way Don't you think I would have found it by now Found a way around it somehow there was any other way And if the world should end today I'd take my last breath Whispering your name Wondering if you'd ever felt the same There was any other way Still remember seeing you standing there Alone in a crowded room Suddenly your presence filled the air Nothing that I could do When we last spoke, we spoke about Still Got That Hunger, which is, you know, really well received. And a song that I didn't ask you about was New York. I think it was talking about the time that the original version of the zombies actually were, were touring over there in the in the sort of early mid sixties. That's right. It is line for line about our first trip to the States. We went to America at Christmas nineteen sixty-four and we played Murray the K's Christmas show at the Brooklyn Fox. And Murray the K was probably the most famous DJ in America at the time. And he considered himself to be the fifth Beatle. That's how he would talk about himself. I'm not quite sure how the Beatles felt about that, but he was a very powerful DJ and he would put these shows on and there would be sort of 14 or 15 acts on the bill and you would sing one or two songs. That's just traditionally how it was done over there. And uh, we opened on Christmas Day in uh, Brooklyn and we played for about 10 days and you would do six or seven, maybe eight shows a day. Mm. You'd just stay there the whole time. And that song that you mentioned, New York, is just about that the first time that we went there and uh, we met wonderful people like Patti LaBelle and Benny King, um, the Shangri-Las, Dionne Warwick. It was, it was a 
incredible bill as a great introduction to playing live in America for us. Absolutely fantastic. interesting period for the zombies was that time between hits before odyssey and oracle and you're actually having hits across the world which i don't think you knew about but not here in the, the uk and the states tracks like indication which are really strong but you were thinking that you just kept missing the charts and when there were hits it's strange isn't it i think especially in those days we tended to think about the us charts and the uk charts and didn't think about the rest of the world that much. And also it's very difficult to get information from the rest of the world. It's mm. difficult to think, you know, before the internet, it was, when you think about it, it's obvious, it was a different world. When the band finished, we realized that we'd always had a hit somewhere in the world. It, it is, it's kind of sad that when the band finished, I think we felt that we were unsuccessful 
you know, and that's why the band finished. And that wasn't true. We were having hits. It's just that we didn't know. Yeah, so it's it was um it was really unfortunate that we didn't realize that we were having hits all around the world. But maybe in a way that the band had run its course. Perhaps in you just have to own up to these things sometimes. It it maybe it was time for us to to move on to new projects. And and that's what we did. And even when Time of the Season was a hit after the band had finished, there was never any discussion about the band getting back together again because we were all committed to other projects. We were working on other things. It just wasn't practicable. I think that's one of the things that marks The Zombies Out has been a really, really special group in that there's not many bands where it's the strength of their material rather than sustained commercial success in, in that original period that's actually made them much bigger even today and, and much as, as, as a stronger voice in music, you know, with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, for example. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was just an incredible honour to be... It, it probably doesn't have the same impact in the UK that it does in the States. It's an incredible honour to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And it was a magical night, 2019, when at the ceremony, you know, we were we were inducted along with... Roxy Music, Radiohead, Janet Jackson, Def Leppard. It was a, a magical evening. And I think it's, it is quite interesting with the Zombies that unlike a lot of bands in the 60s, Rod Argent and, and Chris White wrote our material. So we weren't, mm. we weren't doing, we did do one or two covers, but for the most part, the, the main part of our repertoire was all was new songs. Mm. And maybe it sort of takes time for people to grow to appreciate those songs. And perhaps they're not quite as obvious as some of the really commercial tunes that were around at the time. But I think that was always one of the Zombies' strengths, was that we had these two quite prolific and quite sophisticated writers in the band. It was, it was great. I think Rod was probably writing really good songs right from the beginning, from 1964. But both of them really grew as writers from 64 to 67 until you get to Odyssey and Oracle, where actually Chris White wrote more of Odyssey and Oracle than Rod did. And I only realised that quite recently. But every, tra- every track on that album, the song is absolutely superb. And I mean, I can say that because I had nothing to do with writing them. So I, I think I can be quite a fair judge. They have become really accomplished writers. It's not that you're wrong. It's just that I'm right. I don't want to be tied down every day and every night. Now I've got an indication. I'll hold out against sensation. I know that I can hold out. Hey, 
going back to the forthcoming live stream at Abbey Road, yeah. I guess it's just a, a great way of, of reaching people, given that you're quite restricted in terms of touring at the minute. Absolutely. You know, we've always been a band that tours continually, uh, the original band and this incarnation of the band. And so it's been quite difficult. I mean, you know, yeah. my life is almost, well, touring is a part of my life, let's put it like that. So I've just been sitting around for the last 18 months, like a lot of other people, and it, it has been quite difficult. And then this opportunity came came up that we could do a live stream concert from Abbey Road and of course we jumped at it it's, it's just such an exciting prospect is it just uh, the usual selection of material or will you throw in any any surprises well we're, we're playing five new songs oh three of those songs we will have strings backing them so it is it's a, quite a new thing for us because they're new songs and of course it will be new for the audience as well and we'll, we'll play all the hits and some really deep cuts as well quite obscure tracks Covid permitting, you, you'll be making plans to go on sort of tour f- physically, I assume. Yeah, we're we're actually booked to um, to a, a UK tour starting in the end of February next year. Obviously, it is dependent on what happens with Covid, but uh, hopefully, we'll. I think we're doing about eighteen dates in the UK, and later in the year we're going to the States, and we're also touring Scandinavia and Germany. I hope that the world can get back to some kind of normality. And in particular, I hope that for musicians, that the, the touring world can get back to some kind of normality. I think that's what we all want, isn't it, really? It's, it's, been, a, it's been a very challenging time for everyone. And are there any particular songs that you've been rehearsing that just sound, sound great at the minute? Well, I, I, you know, I hope they all are. But I always enjoy, I, I think... Um, there's a song we often open on, on called Moving On, which I always, in, in, that's from our last album, I always enjoy. I always enjoy, a, we do a Argent's Hold Your Head Up, mm. which audiences always love that. And I, you know, I, I like doing the sort of timeless classics, like She's Not There and Time of the Season. I, I never get tired of singing those songs, you know. They're just such great songs. Well, it certainly comes across when you play live that, that all of you are enjoying the music now more than ever, so... All the best at Abbey Road. It, it sounds like it will be a fabulous night. And obviously I'm emerging everyone to go to thezombiesmusic.com to grab their tickets. Yeah, absolutely. If you get a ticket, you're going to have a great time. It's going to be fantastic. Fantastic. Well, uh, take care, Colin. It's uh, It's been a pleasure as always. Cheers, mate. Lovely to see you. All the way back. All right, you too. Keep on.
Thank you for listening to the Strange Brew Podcast. If you do like the show, please consider a small donation to help keep the show archive online. It's ten years since I started the podcast, and hosting fees are increasing over time. All your support keeps the show running and helps me get amazing guests. To support me, just go to thestrangebrew.co.uk where you'll see a donate button on the homepage. Thank you very much. Plus, any reviews on your podcast services help to spread the word too. Thank you.